Well, what should a, a church do? There's lots of different opinions out there. Some think that the church should be committed to providing um, social uh, welfare to the disadvantaged. Some see it as a place where you have mystical experiences with God, either in uh, one end of the spectrum with lots of candles and incense, or on the other end of the spectrum, you know, uh, an incredible worship leader and a kicking band. Uh, others think it should be uh, a, a preserve, to preserve old historic buildings, which look so lovely in, in uh, country villages. For others, the church should provide some religious spectacles for the big occasion. You know, the um, men wearing lovely frocks and strange hats with ethereal boy choirs. Uh, just a trick for a royal wedding or um, uh, a state funeral or something like that. And, and this view sees it like a, sort of an ecclesiastical opera, really. And a bit like opera, many are glad it's there. They just simply don't want to go to it. Uh, others just wish that churches would just do nothing and just disappear completely uh, because they're an irrelevance. Now, there's so much confusion today. And so I think from time to time, we have to remind ourselves from God's word, what, what is it that a church should do? Now, last week, I suggested a, a beginning definition uh, for what the Bible says about church is... A little bit more. There we are. The church is the gathering of God's people in order to meet the Lord Jesus Christ in his word by the power of the Holy Spirit and in fellowship with one another. Now, I recognize that that doesn't uh, trip off your tongue. So if you want a shortened version, here's my attempt. God's people gathered by the gospel. God's people gathered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what a church is. It's not about buildings or denominations. It's quite simply a gathering of people who've been brought into relationship with God and with each other because of the person and work of the Lord Jesus Christ. God's people gathered by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we saw that, according to the Bible last week, church takes place in two locations. It takes place in heaven. All of God's people from all over the world uh, right down through history, are gathered around the Lord Jesus Christ, it says in Hebrews and in other places. And so it, the, the church happens there in heaven, and the church happens on earth in specific local congregations of believers, just as we are uh, doing today. An earthly congregation of people gathered by the gospel of Jesus Christ is actually just a visible outcropping of that heavenly reality. And the evidence that we're part of that ultimate heavenly gathering is shown by our active membership and participation of a specific local church. But so having defined uh, church as God's people gathered by the gospel, the next logical question is, well, what should a church do when it's gathered? And over the next few weeks in the evening, I'm going to sort of take a more sort of topical theological approach to the Bible to look at what is it that a church should do. Well, of course, in the morning, we're, we're working through the book of Exodus. So tonight, I want to look at this word, worship. God's people gather together to worship God. And so I'm going to try and do an insane thing and summarize the whole Bible's teaching on worship in one sermon. And it really can't be done. And uh, so I hope your fingers are nimble and your Bibles are in front of you because we're going to look right through the Bible again tonight. 
Now, the big danger of my statement that we gather as a church to worship God is that we might start thinking that we're not called to worship the rest of the time. And that would be completely wrong. Another problem with my statement is, as we'll see over the next few weeks, when you turn to the New Testament, the New Testament does not describe the purpose of church as being particularly about worship. It uses words like edification, fellowship, and encouragement. But despite the danger of misunderstanding, I think it's important to put at the top of our list that the purpose of the church is this purpose. God's people gather to worship God. And the reason I say that is, well, I want to show you why. Because I think it's the whole witness of Scripture that says that. So point number one this evening. The delightful duty of man is to worship God. The delightful duty of man is to worship God. Turn to Revelation chapter 4, which is on page 1, 2, 3, 7. In Revelation 4, we see a picture of heaven as John gets a vision. Uh, he's on the Lord's Day. He gets taken up in the Spirit. He gets to, gets to look into heaven. And what's the focus of heaven? The focus of heaven, the first thing he sees is a throne. It's God upon his throne. And he sees the living creatures and the 24 elders gathered around the throne in chapter 4, and they're unceasingly worshipping God. And this is what they're, um, look at uh, verse 9 of chapter 4, when it, whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to him who sits on the throne and who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They lay their crowns before the throne and say, You are worthy our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things. And by your will they were created and have their being. Uh, just turn over to Revelation chapter 19 and verse 10. It's on the left-hand side. Um, John is so overwhelmed by what the angel, uh, is, 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 who the angel is, and what he's showing him as he's guarding him around heaven. He falls down at the angel's feet to worship the angel. But is told this in verse 10. At this I fell at his feet to worship him. But he said to me, do not do it. I am a fellow servant with you and with your brothers who hold to the testimony of Jesus. Worship God. Worship God. Worship is the response of heaven to the glory of who God is. And it is commanded that we worship this God who alone is worthy of our praise. And as part of creation, it is our duty and privilege to worship God the Creator. This was God's intention for us from the very beginning. Last week, last week we looked at the book of Genesis to see how when God created the heavens and the earth... He created man, male and female, unique in all the creation because they are made in the image of God. And that image bearing was, was all about ruling over God's creation, but also about being able to relate to God. And Genesis chapter 2 tells of how man and woman are placed in the paradise of, of a beautiful garden as the context for them to exist in relationship to each other, in relationship with God. And to borrow sort of later imagery, the Garden of Eden really is like the temple of God. 
It's the place where, where God dwells amongst his people. And that's why after the fall, there are cherubim guarding the entrance to that garden. And the whole of Adam and Eve's life in the garden was an act of worship. As they work, as they rest, as they eat, as they relate to each other, as they relate to the creation. And each day was filled with communion with God as God is pictured walking with them in the cool of the day to visit with them. That life of worship that honored God above everything else was demonstrated quite simply by their obedience to God's command. One command, wasn't it? Not to eat the fruit of one particular tree. And the whole picture is one of joy, delight, and blessing. And it's a life of worship. Our dutiful duty, our delightful duty is to worship God. Well, we know that's not the world we live in today. We don't live in the Garden of Eden anymore. Because secondly, our dysfunctional world is because of our disordered worship. Our dysfunctional world is because of our disordered worship. So turn to Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1, page 1128. 1128. We live in a world that's under the wrath of God. Let's look at verse 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that men are without excuse. For though they, they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave thanks to him, but their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images made to look like mortal man and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore God gave them over in the sinful desires of their hearts to sexual impurity for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. See, why have we got a messed up world? Because we have disordered worship. We're worshipping the wrong things. Verse um, 25. Exchanging the truth of God for a lie and worshipping and serving created things rather than the Creator who is forever praised. Amen. That's why our world is messed up. Because we're worshipping the wrong stuff. We're not worshipping the God who made us. God made us as worshippers. And the truth is that we all end up worshipping something or other. Uh, worship is happening all around us all the time. People are worshipping things, people. It was amazing to me to watch the... Uh, it was painful to watch the Wales Ireland match, I have to say. Although before it, there was much talk of Brian O'Driscoll getting his 100th cap and what a great player. But it was amazing to me to watch uh, grown men sitting there in the studio, spending about 10, 15 minutes just praising Brian O'Driscoll to the skies. 
you know, and he's a great player and all that, but they were eulogizing about this man. They were worshiping. Oh, Brian, he can handle a ball the way he holds it in both hands. And he, oh, he's just beautiful. He's probably in the top, you know, top 15 in the world. And they went on and on and on. Around us, we, are, we see worship going on all the time. The problem is that we're not worshiping the God who created us. We're worshiping all the other stuff. And Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, and uh, we live in a sin-blighted world under God's wrath. Thirdly, the story of the Bible, really, is the history of how God has been seeking and creating worshippers through his gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the third point there. Because of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the delightful duty and response of the church is to worship and serve God as his redeemed and restored people. This is what God's doing in the world. God is seeking worshipers and creating worshipers through the gospel. We see that good news prefigured in the Old Testament. We saw it this morning in the book of Exodus. Turn back to Exodus with me. It's on page 60. This is really what the Exodus event is about. God is giving reassurance to Moses as he commissions him to go and confront Pharaoh to release the Hebrew slave force, page 60. And uh, look at uh, chapter 3, verse 12. And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. The book of Exodus can be thought of really as a book about worship. Uh, the Hebrew word worship uh, can also be used as serve, serve worship. It's sort of a similar range. And at the start of the book of Exodus, you have um, the, the Hebrew people serving as slaves under Pharaoh, building buildings for him. And by the end, they are a free people serving God, building a special tent where God will dwell amongst them. And on Passover night, under the covering of, of blood of the Lamb, they escape God's judgment and are rescued out of slavery and make the journey to Mount Sinai where they are to meet with God and to worship Him. So let's turn to Exodus 19, page 76. Uh, so that's Exodus 19. In the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on the very day they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from Rephidim, they entered the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of the mountain. There Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the house of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did to Egypt and how I carried you on eagles' wings and brought you to myself. Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words that you are to speak to the Israelites. God creates worshippers through his saving acts. That's what the story of Exodus is about out of the whole world they are called to be a unique have a unique role in relationship with God they're going to be a kingdom of priests and a whole nation every one of them as worshipers of God and amazingly God promises uh, to dwell among them as his people 
and they enjoy that relationship and fulfill their calling as, 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 they, um, as, as people of worship uh, supremely as they obey God's word. And so chapter 20 is the Ten Commandments that they, God speaks to them. As they, as they, out of grace, respond to God's commands, they show themselves to be worshippers of God. But the truth is the only way they can continue as worshippers is because of the blood of sacrifice sprinkled on them. And that's what the whole book of Leviticus is about. All of it, of course, pointing forward to the coming of the Lord Jesus Christ, His ultimate act of redemption and salvation that Jesus died in the place of sinners. And all the gospel accounts tell us of the, of the last meal that Jesus had with his disciples uh, on the Passover night. Jesus takes this meal that they've been celebrating for hundreds and hundreds of years, and he, he takes it and he reinterprets it. He grabs hold of that meal, and he says, here's a pattern of what my death is all about. It is a fulfillment of that Passover night. I am the perfect lamb that has been sacrificed for you. And he breaks the bread and says, this is my body given for you. And this is the cup that is poured out for you, a new covenant in my blood. The blood that will protect us from the wrath of God is the Lord Jesus Christ and his sacrifice for us. And all of the Old Testament is pointing forward to that. And so all this rich terminology is picked up as we go to the letter of 1 Peter. Chapter 2 that was read to us earlier. So look at page 1218. And it's fascinating to me that all these Old Testament terms are now applied not just to Jewish people, but to Jews and Gentiles who have put their faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So 1 Peter 2, verse 4. As you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. And then look at verse 9, the same chapter. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into this wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you'd not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. See, as we come to Jesus by faith, whether Jew or Gentile, then we inherit all the titles, all the terms that are once given uniquely to the Israel of old. It is those who've put their trust in Jesus who are to be considered God's people. It is now the Christian church made up of true believers in Jesus who are the chosen race, the royal priesthood, the holy nation. And in Christ, it is his church that is now called to be those who worship God in the world. Declaring and proclaiming to each other the excellencies of Jesus Christ, of God who called us out of darkness into his wonderful light. That is why he has saved us and gathered us to be a people who worship him in this way. And this is exactly what you see as you come all the way to uh, Revelation chapter 5. Go back to Revelation.
The praise of heaven is focused on the one who is like a lamb, freshly slain. And the new song of heaven is there in verse 9. And they sang a new song. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you are slain. And with your blood you purchase men for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to serve our God. And they will reign on the earth. And then I looked and heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. They encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders. In a loud voice they sang, Worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. Then I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the earth and on the sea and all that is in them singing, To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders fell down and worshipped. Here's my point. If you've fallen asleep, here's my point. The unfolding story of the Bible, the point of history, is not just that God has gathered the people to himself, which is what the New Testament calls church, but the purpose of the church, the gathering of God's people, is that we will be true worshippers in the world. That's why he's gathered us together. Not only now because as creatures uh, we see the majesty and glory of God as our creator, but now as Christ's church gathered, uh, who have experienced God's Redemption, his forgiveness, his mercy, his salvation. We gather to worship him in all the fullness of that. He's our creator and our redeemer. And really that's why I want to stress that the first purpose of the church is to worship God. The focus of the heavenly gathering should also be our preoccupation uh, upon the earth in our churchly gatherings. Uh, Worship is obviously bigger than simply what we do on a Sunday. Uh, Romans 12.1, most famously, um, says this, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. So, you see, worship, of course, is the whole of life. Yes, that's right. Uh, Because of God's mercy to us in the gospel, the whole of our lives is supposed to be an act of worship. And, of course, it's a very odd week if we spend the whole week without worshipping God, and think on a Sunday morning as the only time when we come to do that, we've completely misunderstood our calling as God's people in the world if we think like that. 1 Corinthians 10.31 puts it this way, So whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. The whole of life is worship. But what I want to say is this, our Sunday gatherings should certainly not be viewed as anything less than about the worship of God. If the whole of life is about the worship of God, certainly when we gather, this is what we should be doing as well, is it not? And the Christian who thinks that they can worship God anywhere so that there's no need ever to gather together with other Christians in church is missing out on the whole direction of God's salvation purposes. When when Christians gather together to worship God, their gathering and their corporate worship is something greater than when we're dispersed throughout the rest of the week. And there's at least two reasons for that. Firstly, because God's glory is revealed to the whole world and to the watching cosmos, the Bible says, 
as Christians gather as a worshipping church. You know, God is more glorified by our united praise than when we do so separately. And so Romans 15 says this in verse 5 and 6, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another as a church in accord with Christ Jesus that together you may with one voice glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. So actually, we do glorify God more, in a sense, as we gather together and worship Him than even as our dispersed individual lives can. And secondly, the reason why we still gather is because God promises to dwell amongst His gathered people. The Apostle Paul tells the church in Corinth that they are God's temple and that God's Spirit dwells in them as a gathered church. 1 Peter 2 says that as believers gather, we're like living stones who are together being, making a spiritual house uh, where in a special way God dwells. Of course, God is everywhere. He's, a, he's omnipresent. And yet, and there's a unique way as we gather as God's people, He's especially present to bless. He's especially gathered amongst His people in a unique way. We can meet with God in a way that we can't experience uh, on the golf course or uh, by the seaside or up on a mountain. Matthew 18.20 says this, For where two or three are gathered in my name, there am I among them. There is actually one place in the New Testament where the, where the terminology of worship is applied to the Christian gathering. It's actually only one. but Let's turn to it in 1 Corinthians 14. Uh, and the context is where the church is gathered and the people are using their spiritual gifts in a way that is understandable to the non-Christian outsider and it says this, verse 24 but if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying uh, in an intelligible speech he will be convinced by all that he is a sinner and will be judged by all and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare, so he will fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. Now, I wonder, is this how we view our gathering together as Christians? What's your expectation as you head to your small group midweek? What's your expectation as you come Sunday by Sunday? Do we expect to to meet with Christ in His Word and by His Spirit when we gather with His people? Do we have an expectation as we gather that God will be present in a unique way amongst us that, that we'll not see in the rest of the week? Do we come with that anticipation and expectation? Do we view our week ahead? Yes, even school tomorrow, even work even the usual ground, grind of being a, uh, a mum, washing those same clothes again. Do we view this week ahead as an opportunity to worship God in our lives and in our families? 
all culminating in the opportunity to come next Sunday to further meet with God amongst his people in corporate worship? Do we come with hearts ready to engage with God as we hear the Bible read and preached, as we sing, as, as the Bible is uh, explained, as we pray the Bible, as we share together uh, afterwards in conversation? It, do we come expecting to meet with God in the power of His Spirit? Because that is the New Testament expectation of what we're doing. In a sense, the supreme purpose for which God is at work in the world is to gather a people who will for all eternity live for the praise of his glory. And it gets to start from the moment we trust Jesus and goes on into eternity. How can we practically respond to this? I've kind of given lots of high theology up here. How can we actually respond to this? When did you last speak to your Christian friend or someone in your small group or someone after church and say to them something like this? Isn't God good? It's amazing to me how gracious God has been to me. I was so thrilled this morning to think about the fact that God is the ever-living God. Isn't that amazing? When did you last engage a Christian in that way. When did you last say to a Christian, friend, oh, I was reading my Bible this week and, and what I saw again about the gospel is so wonderful. It is so amazing what Jesus has done for us. What, what is that? That's worship, isn't it? That's worship. That's praise. Have you discovered the delight of praising somebody Who's worth it? Driscoll is good. Oh, Driscoll's a good rugby player, right? He deserves some plaudits for that. But we've got the Lord Jesus Christ. He's so much more worthy of our worship and our praise. And yet the truth is, as Christians, we can so often just end up talking about the rugby rather than talking about Jesus. We will grow as worshippers of God as we take this on seriously that we are to declare the excellencies of Christ. We are to declare the praise of Him who brought us out of darkness into His wonderful light. It's not just when we sing songs. It is part of our conversation. And have you noticed this? That uh, an event is, is, is never fully completed until you praise it. Um, people do not walk silently out of a football match. They say, oh, that goal, that was unbelievable. Did you see that goal? That was, what a player. He's worth every penny or whatever. Or you see a view and it's, and you know, if you're standing with someone, you can't, you don't just stand there looking at a view, unless you're kids. Kids don't even like views. You say, kids, look at that. They go, what, what, what? But you're standing there and you're looking at a stunning view and it's so hard to say, wow, that's wonderful. It is our delightful duty. We've discovered the joy of worshipping and praising God. Not just here, but out there. And my friends, it starts as we talk like that to each other. So, this is not very Scottish, is it? 
Some men struggle to tell their wives they love them. That's, well, that should change. That should change. But my friends, let's learn in your uniquely Scottish way to say, I don't know, wait, God is good. Maybe that'll be a start. Maybe that'll be a start. We can build from there. That's why he saved us. To worship him. You know, our final song tonight is actually not a bad song to end with because it says, now is the time to worship. And uh, we're singing that as we're about to head out into the world. Now is the time to worship as we kind of head out and the alarm clock's going to go on Monday morning and you're going to wake up and think, oh no. And then we need to think, no, now is the time to worship. Let's stand.